Section 1 of Secret Service, or Recollections of a City Detective. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Lori Waymeyer. Secret Service or Recollections of a City Detective by Andrew Forrester. My Great Electioneering Trick. Part 1. About twelve years ago, there was an election anticipated in the borough of N., it was a notorious place for bribery, as I, who have been professionally concerned in many elections, perfectly well knew. It was an extraordinary town. It had once been a very flourishing place. A staple trade had been carried on there and almost nowhere else, but an evil spirit of gentility pervaded its corporation in those days. The genius of two or three well-known men would have taken advantage of the neutral position and prospects of that spot and its neighborhood to found there a new industry— and give employment to an immense population of skilled artisans. The labor of these people, however, could only be set to work and supplemented by smoke. The mayor and town council of N., acting in the supposed interest of its inhabitants, determined they would have no smoky chimneys within their town. An act of parliament had been obtained sanctioning such municipal regulations as enabled these wiseacres to keep out the threatened innovation of gold-producing smoke. The new industry had, therefore, to settle down in the neighborhood beyond municipal control. After this achievement had been successful, the surrounding district went on rapidly increasing in prosperity until it reached its present exalted position in that respect, and the trade of N went on diminishing to its present abject or exhausted condition. Meanwhile, also, the stagecoaches which ran continuously through its streets for N was on the great northern line of Turnpike Road dropping in their course a modicum of wealth for the inhabitants, were themselves put down by the unequal competition of a trunk railway, so that N became in course of time what is now is a clean, shabby, pretentious, and poverty-stricken place. Stagnation amid activity distinguishes it. The grass grows in its high street and marketplace. The remnant of independent people, that is, people who have a pecuniary independence, show airs and walk about the neighborhood under the belief that they are thought to be and are superior beings. The inhabitants who are not in this sense independent are craven, humiliated, impoverished, and corrupt. Yet N is a parliamentary borough, and consequently its present dilapidated forlorn position supplies a fine opportunity for adventurous politicians, whether with or without brains, no matter who have heavy purses, skillful agents, and good machinery at their command. Before I describe the special incidents of the case I am about to lay before the reader, let me supply some further particulars about the electoral conscience of this extraordinary old town. It has three classes of voters, who have been classified by a well-known conservative electioneering agent, an attorney residing there, and a similar or rather averse classification has no doubt been made by the other side, in the first list, or classification, are the really true and honest electors, men who would resent as an insult the offered bribe, sterling worthy fellows who would resist almost, or perhaps quite, to the death any attempt to coerce them to vote otherwise than as their consciences directed. There is another list, or classification, of men who are inclined towards conservatism. As perhaps some sardonic reader will suggest everybody in an old place like N ought to be. And these men will take half as much from the real supporter of our venerable institutions as they can get from some mushroom Percy adventurer professing ultra-radical principles, who desires to make a market of his political influence, or is perhaps anxious to satisfy the cravings for distinction of his wife by getting himself as her marital adjunct returned to Parliament. 
and privileged to wear M.P. after his name. The third list or classification embraces those electors who have no political principles or character or conscience whatever. These are fellows who want as much from conservative as from radical or from Whig. They are scum and refuse or dregs of political life, and this foul element of political existence at N is by no means the smaller portion of the three classifications. The operator or agent, as he likes to be called, although as police magistrates and all other people dealing with crime are aware, the title agent is complimentary, knows precisely with what material he has to deal. He plays his cards as he sometimes describes his anxious labors accordingly, and is only liable to one derangement. It is said that honesty and good faith towards one another is characteristic of thief life. I have, in a former volume, shown that notion to be a fallacy. Politicians supply an additional proof of the accuracy of my statement. When the operator or agent has, say, two days before the election, made all his arrangements for voting, and feels quite confident that, as the representative of Mr. Heavypurse, his candidate, a gentleman who rejoices in a retiring forehead, thick neck, small brain, a little talker, and small doer, who has no political character, principle, sentiment, or notion whatever, he has made it all right by virtue of the money already dropped, and the vastly larger amount promised. He goes to sleep in his downy, well-curtained bed at the dodo, charged to the brim with rosy wine and deep spiritual potations, only to be awakened in the morning by a vigilant subordinate who informs him that shortly before the witching hour overnight, there came into N a post-chaise or a trap with four horses, which did not seem fatigued by the length of their journey, for they had only come from Z, but were the drawers of a load on the floor of the carriage which hindered their movement and might have sacrificed their character for speed. The operator or agent knows that some wealthy political speculator has arrived with a good round sum in golden sovereigns, he does not think the affair so cleverly planned as it might have been, and would seem to have been on the first blush, but still he is a little tremulous because he knows that the problem of success may be most easily resolved by the hand which can ply the largest, or heaviest, golden solvent. He knows that the magic of gold nowhere exercises a more potent influence over the soul than at N, and he would already feel inclined to give up the contest if he could be sure that the new arrival had a large preponderance of gold over his own man, notwithstanding the fact that he thinks his candidate a superior man, and one that the constituency, if it could be made honest, would be sure to like, and notwithstanding also that he has had the start of three weeks in canvassing, and got the promises of a considerable majority of electors over the comparatively needy liberal candidate, who has been hitherto opposed to Mr. Heavypurse, the third arrival disquiets the operator." One other remarkable fact I discovered in this town. I hope the reader will not be startled by it. I relate it as truth. I state it as an undeniable proposition. I am open to be convinced if I am wrong, but if I am right, it is a thing to be laid before Parliament, as a great argument in favor of something or against something else. Every fact surely leads up to an inference. Every truth has a moral. This fact I commend to all whom it doth concern, and I declare it. It is this. The representation of N is usually determined by the brothel-keepers of the town. All the men who ever sat for that borough since the reform bill passed have been returned by these despicable human creatures, who derive means of sustaining their own existence out of the most loathsome, although we are told incurable, evil. How do I prove my fact and moral, the reader asks? Thus. 
when all the really honest electors have been polled the operators or agents exhaust the comparatively decent section of the bribable part of the town and the result of the whole gives to the conservative it may be a majority of four or it may be a majority to the liberal of four or it may be five six seven eight nine ten or eleven according to circumstances we may suppose this to be late in the day but there are still from twenty-three to twenty-five of the morally unclean ten-pound householders or burgesses in a particular street of n who regularly pay their rates and taxes within the date prescribed for exclusion from the register and who are therefore duly qualified voters neither liberal nor conservative will lose an election if he can help it in the emergency of the time i speak of the liberal finding himself in a minority of four goes into stew street and buys up the twenty-three four or five occupiers of these leprosy distilling houses and pays any price for the occupiers think fit to demand they are taken up to poll like free independent honest and moral electors they turn the scale they return the member all the rest has been a farce printing the addresses of rival candidates engaging committee rooms everything in the way of machinery or principle up to the visit of the operator or agent in stew street has been useless i hate shams i detest mockeries why not leave stew street to return the gentleman or blackguard who was to be called m p for n apropos to this or by way of postscript to my moralizing let me inform the reader that a cabinet minister has been returned for n and that beyond all earthly doubt stew street alone or its voters and the cabinet minister's money returned him to parliament in the way i have pointed out well as i have told the reader already i saw the opportunity for getting an engagement so i went to somebody who put himself into communication with somebody else this gentleman who for the present may be called mr somebody else having made a fortune in trade and having a wife who had persuaded him that he was a remarkably clever fellow and that he ought to go into parliament mr somebody else had no political principles he had himself always voted as an elector just in the way that his largest customer had recommended which largest customer as if events happened by chance had always been a liberal somehow or other mrs somebody else got into her feminine head that her spouse had herein gone on the wrong tack that it was not respectable to be a liberal that the highly genteel thing was to stand by the tories and she therefore determined that whenever her spouse went into parliament he should be a stanch conservative to which he like a fond husband said i will this did not much matter to me mr somebody else would do for n and for me as well as any other man i was not careful about political opinions and therefore made no hesitation about rendering my services to him it is always desirable to go through the usual forms occasionally forms useless in themselves are made essential by custom a man who could write was therefore employed to write an address for our candidate and one or two fellows were also engaged to cram or coach him with speeches that he was to re-deliver they were not very fine speeches the oratory was in my opinion gassy flowery nonsensical or as the great mr barnum would say and i shall take the liberty of saying they were humbugious we went down from london direct to the borough the party consisted of myself my associate who was the agent an attorney and the candidate whose name address and quality i had now ascertained the reader may now know this gentleman as mr jolliphat a retired tallow-melter or chandler then residing at melpamine lodge clapham and supposed to be a sleeping partner of the old house in which he had skimmed the cauldrons of boiling tallow admirably for more than thirty years on our arrival we put out the address of our candidate we started a personal canvass we did all that was usual except bribe and the time had hardly come for that but all that we did only served to discourage everybody but me 
My associate had told his candidate that he thought a couple of thousand pounds or thereabouts would do, whereas I told him it would cost five thousand pounds at least, but that he ought to be prepared with seven or eight thousand if he really meant to go in and win. At end, the candidate got to learn there was no chance for him with two or even three thousand pounds. He was chapfallen and telegraphed to his wife, who came down in a sumptuous anonymity, which to our annoyance had more effect than the simple announcement of her name and her relationship to the candidate would have had. This lady, unlike the wife of Sir Baldbade Belly, under the like circumstances became presumptuous and impractical. She said she thought that three thousand gulden souverains was a very enormous sum. It cost her good man a very long time to make that air sum of money, and although she did not mind his spending his money like a Breton or a prime minister, she said she thought three thousand pounds ought to satisfy everybody, and if it didn't, why, she wouldn't go no further, and they might do as they could. Mrs. Jolifat also said that she liked to see her way sure before she began. If it could not be done for that price certain, why, she'd rather not try it on at all. Three thousand gulden souverains, as she often said, was a very big sum of money, and it was not to be tossed into the Thames. That is what they would say in London, and she meant it was not to be made ducks and drakes on. I was a little astonished more especially when my associate boldly told her that, upon his honour, he would do it for the money. Of course I could not there and then contradict him, and in effect say he was a jolly humbug to let in a thrifty woman and her spouse in such a mode. So I held my peace until I got him alone. Then I protested. He replied, Oh, gammon, make the old boy and girl spend. They won't do any good with their money if they don't drop it here, and after all rely upon it. I will make them shell out three or five thousand pounds more if it is what I wanted. I argued and expostulated. My associate was firm. He said, We have gone too far into the matter to go back. We shall both of us be ruined in our professions if we run away from the stake. I say that we must go in and win and make the old boy pay. I have heard it said that necessity is the mother of invention. I believe the proverb is familiar to most of my readers. I am going to supply another illustration of it. I was oppressed and conscious about Mr. and Mrs. Jolifat and their purse for the rest of the day. I felt that we must go in and win, or we must not go in at all, but must run away. Then my associate and partner would stick by the candidate and perhaps really succeed in doing as he said must be done. That was, gladden the hearts of the candidates and his wife by a triumph at the poll, and get the requisite amount of money to pay him for the operation. About the former part of the business I was not at all certain, but if, on the other hand, he failed, which was more likely, could I rid myself from the responsibility by merely withdrawing at the present stage of affairs? I resolved to go on, and make the best use of that little legal knowledge I had obtained, so as to keep out of harm's way. I was ultimately able to devise what I then thought, and still think, my greatest electioneering trick. I took a stroll in order to collect my thoughts, and after cudgeling my brain for an hour or two, hit upon the following expedient, which I carried out in the manner described. I hastened to London by a midnight train, took a cab from the Euston station, and knocked up a clever fellow in my own line of business, who was instructed by me, and who acted under my direction to the letter and spirit, so that the ruse was, as the reader will see, entirely successful. As far as I could, of course, I directly superintended the details of my scheme. Residing in the neighborhood of Soho was a man of considerable ability, who, as I was informed, and have now good reasons for believing, could talk and write with great ease and facility. What his political principles were I do not know, 
nor did i then care about any more than he did himself he was ready to accept the engagement which i offered him for a price he agreed to become a third candidate for the representation of n my man the new candidate and i after quitting the lodgings of the former went to an adjacent hostelry where having secured a private room and called for pens ink and paper cigars and a bottle of wine we concocted an address to the free and independent electors of the borough we were too humbug this was taken to a printer who for a little more than ordinary pay got into type and printed off five hundred copies within three hours we next paid a visit to the shop of a well-known clothes dealer not far off whose name has a flavor of hebrew in its orthography where our candidate got rigged out in admirable style although at an expense i think even now a little extravagant when thus costumed in the habit of a gentleman he really looked such and with the influence of external prosperity and i suppose the magic of twenty sovereigns in his pocket such a sum as he had not been in the enjoyment of i fancy for a very long while all the traces of want and dissipation left his countenance he talked with additional volubility and became so eloquent that i really thought it a pity he was not the real instead of the sham aspirant for senatorial dignity i plead guilty to a passing idea which then possessed me and suggested an odious comparison i thought he would have fitted the character of m p much better than our candidate mr jolliphat whose jackal or provider he really was i next took our party to a restaurant in regent street where i called for and paid for a sumptuous dinner over our wine suggestion and plot developed themselves grandly i became indebted for many valuable hints to my new chum and his clever friend we smoked and chatted and afterwards strolled into st james's park until the time began to arrive for our leaving town one other call had to be made at a trunk-maker's for two or three goodly portmanteaus which although expense was not of much importance i preferred to have second-hand as i thought shabbiness or at least a soiled appearance would look better as an accessory to the scheme or great trick we had already begun to play out i should also tell the reader that i promised the popular candidate in embryo a bonus of fifty pounds if he played his part skilfully and kept good faith but i gave him no security beyond my word from which i never departed in my life for the fulfilment of my part of the contract neither of us had then or thereafter to regret the manner in which it was executed and paid for the portmanteaus were stocked from an outfitter's a hosier's a perfumer's and other tradesmen we also purchased a large heavy wooden box from a dealer in antiquities it had huge steel clasps and a ponderous lock it looked like a thing designed for the keeping of treasure and a thing customarily so employed we filled this box we then went to the printers where the copies of the placard we had ordered and of which we had not thought it necessary to see a proof were all worked off and it looked in clear bold type fascinating to the eye of each of us but most charming of all it perhaps seemed to the man who embodied most of its unreality it is astonishing how many excellent devices and how many grand projects and schemes of lofty usefulness are marred by inattention to detail or it may be the want of a single but essential ingredient this was nearly the case on the present occasion my great electioneering trick had almost failed from an oversight in its initiation we had up to this moment retained no lawyer or attorney a most essential feature of such a plot as that we had engaged in this omission was discovered by me just in time to be filled up we heard of an attorney a low sort of fellow i believe who lived in the neighbourhood i hired him and sent him down with the other two to the borough of n that night i parted company with my friends at the euston station 
they proceeded a little more than a hundred miles to the populous town of h by railway and there alighted from this point the journey was performed in a lumbering post-chaise as i had desired my party not on any account to arrive at the town of n before twelve o'clock at night i preferred that it should be a little after one in the morning and i suggested they might as well get up a little sensation on their arrival this i told them might easily be done by a pretended anxiety to keep their arrival dark and quiet my instructions herein were obeyed as i afterwards ascertained with unerring exactness there was at a very short distance on the outside of the town a toll-bar always locked at night and the keeper of which was not renowned for his vigilance or wakefulness the party found a trifle of real difficulty in gaining admission to the borough it was some time before the man at the toll-house rubbing his eyes opened his little wicket and came forth to unlock the gate as he did so he was startled by the sight of a vehicle with three persons in it and heavily laden the man's sagacity penetrated as he thought the whole secret he winked and nodded and grinned significantly he saw in one of the party another candidate for the franchise of the free and independent electors and in the other two his agents his acute vision dived through the keyhole of that box and there beheld a weight of gold which he defined in conversation next day as such a sight as he never saw in his life before even at an election my man kept up the delusion well by throwing two half-crowns to the fellow and each of his companions tossed a handful of small coin at him as he closed the gate after them away rolled at a slow pace the heavily laden vehicle the horses throbbing and panting and the riders chuckling to their heart's content at length the town of n was reached as quietly and mysteriously as possible the vehicle was driven by the strangers its occupants up to the hotel of our opponent and after ringing the bell refusing to accept the servant's answers and insisting upon awakening the host my man tried to strike a bargain with the hotel-keeper putting him under his confidence to let his house as the central committee room of the independent candidate boniface was proof against temptation he had let his house to mr sallertwitch the whig candidate and he was not to go and to break his engagement not he he never had done such a thing in his life and never would they must go elsewhere he said and the interview was closed by the irate landlord shearing off to bed telling them he didn't want to have no more to do with them next the party went to the hotel where mr jolliphat was staying and in which he held his quarters a similar interview with mr bung at that establishment ended not unlike the conference with mr boniface at last a solitary medieval-looking policeman was observed torpidly creeping along the market-place and for a consideration he undertook in the first place to find the best quarters now available and in the second to keep the arrival of his patrons as quiet and as solemn as death it was unfortunate he said that they had come into the town so late because the other parties had been in the field so long and had got the regular start of them however there was a tidyish sort of place which had always been the headquarters of a third candidate and for his own part he did not think it much mattered if the candidate was a regular gentleman which house he put up at this shrewd policeman thought it would be all the same if the candidate had about him friends who knew their business the policeman's advice was taken in the selection of a central committee room the green swan with two tails which let me confess and regret was a comparatively humble place for headquarters i should have very much preferred the first hotel in the town and if that had been possible i would have yielded up the place in which mr jolliphat was enthroned however as the sequel will show this matter did not influence the success of the coup without further loss of time that is to say early next morning my man went to work 
the first person to whom as the agent of the independent candidate he paid his addresses was not the mayor of the town nor the town clerk nor an alderman nor a town councillor but he was a bill sticker end of section one part one